Why is music like sport? My professor, who was very music, not at all sport, mm. was not a fan of my thesis. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. uh, are we recording? We are. Although his name was Professor David Blake, and he wore his trousers far too high. I see. Up his midriff. And for that reason, despite being a musical genius, there were trust issues. The, um, I feel very much the same about the character Ben in Postman Pat Special Delivery Service. Does he also ride a little high? Yeah, I don't understand it. I did, the, um, I did the manliest thing I've ever done this weekend. Maybe not even manly, maybe we shouldn't gender it. Maybe it was the most adult thing I've ever done. Okay, what was that? I rewired a lawnmower. <laughs> now then. It made, I, the, 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 the sense of... You know when you have like professional career highs and you, you kind of think, I should, I should get like an endorphin rush from this, but you don't because you're inherently aware deep down that what you do isn't a proper job. I got that rush from rewiring a lawnmower. It's changed my, my life completely. Do you need anything rewiring? Well, not rewiring, but it sounds like you clearly have the skills that you could transfer to plumbing. I have a, a non-functioning hot, hot water tap in the bathroom, on, on the bath, which is the grand total of six months old. So I reckon if you can rewire a lawnmower, you can probably work out why the hot water tap on my bath just simply won't switch on. Can I ask a question? Please do. So you've just revealed that your hot water tap on your bath doesn't work. Yeah. You've also off-air revealed that um, the volume button on your television recording box doesn't work. No, no, there's just no volume. Anything that's been recorded on the Sky Plus box currently is playing back without volume. Have you recently been cursed? Very possible. Well, <laughs> that I have seems been, like the most likely Have you upset option. any old, sort of innocent seeming old women? My, my parents have been here for the weekend. Right, yeah. So <laughs> it is very possible that they've been trying to use technology, which is beyond their capabilities. By that, you mean the Skyfall Sports and, and, and the hot water tap. Hot water tap. <laughs> they did, from what I hear, they did literally nothing else. <laughs> because my dad listens, I should clarify, the hot water tap was broken before he got here. But the sound on the TV wasn't. So. Yeah, that sounds like, yeah, there, there is a, a very obvious culprit for that. This is because Steve spent the weekend getting boozed up in two different countries they they do like a drink in Scandinavia don't they (laughs) they do (laughs) they like an expensive drink even the Brits were struggling to keep up explain where you were Uh, well Katie works for a company who are who are headquartered in Sweden uh, and they their parent was headquartering a verb I'm not do you know I'm not sure I like that which has its headquarters in Sweden Katie works for a company that has its headquarters in Sweden just outside Malmö and their parent company, their someone's, investors... Someone's worked work out how to pronounce it. <laughs> there were a couple of raised eyebrows yeah. coming this side of the table. Malmö. Their, their parent company was celebrating its jubilee. So they invited literally everybody who works for them in the many different companies that they've invested in to, to come to Sweden for a big celebration. Very and good. We, we went via Copenhagen, which is basically the best way to get to Malmö. Anyway. Because there's a bridge. There's a bridge. Yeah. That has many murders on it. At least halfway across. Yeah. From either side. Whose jurisdiction is it? Nobody knows. Know. Let's find out. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, who hasn't changed his promotional profile pic since the early 2000s, and Rory Smith, who has already changed his promotional profile pic on his New York Times newsletter after, what, just six weeks? It was a bad picture. You've admitted now that it was a bad picture, even though originally you thought it wasn't a bad picture because you didn't want to offend your wife because Kate picked it out. No, Kate, Kate took it. Oh, Kate took Kate it. Kate took it. It was just, I mean, I don't photograph well, full stop. This new one is better. Oh, stop it. With it's self-deprecation. true. It's not self-deprecation. You're a gloriously good-looking man. That is, that is not what I said. I said I don't, I don't photograph well. It's a very different thing. So you admit you're a gloriously good-looking man. I don't admit man. anything. <laughs> Handsome, but not photogenic. Do those oh, two things go hand in hand? hand? What a curse. I There's a presu- curse. That's a that curse. That is a curse. But I, I go around the world upsetting innocent-seeming old women, so I'm not surprised I've been cursed in many ways. <laughs> May your photos be slightly disappointing. Uh, Chinch, you wouldn't be surprised to hear, is in Portugal. Stephen, you are providing us with food. I will be. We're going to record first and eat later, which is why there's biscuits on the table. We have shortbread fingers to be followed, a, a natural hors d'oeuvre, which will be followed by... Well, I'm going to do BLTs. BLTs. I wasn't feeling particularly creative, so I thought, do something that I know will be a big win. But you don't like the L or the T of a BLT. I, no, I, I don't, mind the, I don't mind the L. I don't mind the L. Don't yeah. mind the L. Yeah, I'll have a B and an L. He's having a BL. Okay. The kids will just have a B. That sounds like BS to me. Uh, now, as promised, Best Man Billy has done some significant number crunching after the deadline for the SPM PL 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 entries passed. We start with some uh, work already done, but nonetheless requested by Saeed Rafiq who says this, Dear Barry Glendinning's favourite podcast, 
I've had an idea for your SPM PL, 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 PL. Since you are, are collecting the data anyway, it will probably be quite an easy experiment to do. It's well established that the crowd is better at estimating slash predicting than the individual. We're getting a lot of predictions from many people and averaging them out creates a more accurate prediction than the predictions of an overwhelming majority of individuals. He says, you can cut this bit out if you want. In America, in a town fair of some sort, a scientist held a competition where he asked people to guess in pounds how much a bull weighed. He worked out the average based on the crowd's guesses, and it was one pound out from the actual weight. There have been other experiments too, but it's the only one I could remember. Also, some of that might be wrong, but the gist is right. I'm sure they did that with the, the like, stittles in a jar thing as well. I'm sure there's been an experiment of that sort. It does make sense, at least mathematically. So if you could, says Said, have your stats guy, which undermines Billy's incredibly important uh, contribution. Our human computer. Yes, work out the average positions of the teams based on all the predictions in your league. I'm guessing we collectively will be much closer than any one of us individually. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. The only problem, he says, would be that it would cost Rory a lot in signed Mr. Books since everyone would have played their part in an eventual and inevitable victory. There are not that many copies of Mr. left in existence. <laughs> Unfortunately, unless you really do trawl either the internet or bargain buckets at service stations. So, set piece Ooh, that, menu. No, 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 I that's don't, below the belt. I'd, I'd I don't think I don't I, think I don't had, think I think it's become abundantly clear that motorists were not my demographic. <laughs> but I thought we have had empirical evidence that they that, that there was not at least one station. seen service station bargain bucket. Really? Yes, I think we had a listener find one. I don't and immediately purchase one for one penny less than a pound. No, I don't, I, do you know, I'm not. I don't think that book's ever graced any shelf of W. H. Smiths. To be perfectly honest, uh, you went to Waterstones at the weekend. Were you just searching for the book? No, we went to Waterstones for a teddy bear's picnic with Ed, but um, it was in the children's department in Manchester Waterstones. What your book was? No. <laughs> Which is by the sports section. So I did go into the sports section just to see if it was still there, and it was, and I did obviously use it to cover up somebody else's book <laughs> and make it more prominent. And that person was probably your friend. Um, so the set piece menu, Average 11, which you can see yourself by searching for Average 11 on tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu, is Manchester City in first, Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, United, Chelsea, Leicester, Everton, Wolverhampton Wanderers and West Ham United as your top 10. Bournemouth, Watford, Burnley, Southampton, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Brighton and Hove Albion, down to the bottom three, Norwich City, New Newcastle United and Sheffield United. So those are the average predictions of all our entries. You can now check your wild cards on tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu. This is to find out what you may well win if you have selected the team as your wild card and they finish in that position. Just as a hint as what you might be able to win if you had done this. If you guess that Manchester City would finish first, you will only pick up four points. That is a paltry amount of points when 20 is the total. If you pick Manchester City to fin finish outside any position outside the top two, you will win the maximum 20 points. Unlikely, you may well think. Liverpool, if you pick them to finish second, just six points. If you pick them to finish outside the top three, anywhere, 20 points. Well done, you unless you're wrong. Exciting. I do not understand that no, system I, I, at all. I, I, even having been privy to the discussion <laughs> that set the whole wildcard process in place, I'm now more confused than I was when yeah. it was suggested I have no in idea the first place. Rory's wildcard is Leicester to finish fourth. Is I think Sheffield United in 11th is uh, Chinch's wildcard. That's... That's really emphasising the wild in wild cards, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's him trying to make up for his Sheffield Wednesday affiliation. That's true. And if you can... Uh, or oh, overcompensating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happens. If you would like to see our predictions, uh, including Chinch's whole 20 science-based predictions, uh, you can uh, head to tinyurl.com forward slash... Science-based. It's pretty much exactly the same as don't, anybody else. Don't quite know how he's, how he's managed to kind of apply his O-level in physics to that, but uh, yeah, well, least, to find out. At least he has an O-level in physics. Uh, get in touch with the podcast at Seppi's menu set piece menu at gmail.com or via facebook because of a slightly skew if recording schedule we're only now able to bring you some responses to our episode about whether football can sustain the 92 so here they are fraser anderson writes dear rory smith's podcast mm. long time listener first time emailer i listened to your recent episode on the situation at bolton berry with a fair amount of interest <laughs> just a fair amount of interest <laughs> the part that particularly drew my attention was the suggestion that a club could be turned over to fan ownership when a club is in financial difficulty which could be Quoting Stephen Wyeth, a recipe for disaster. This drew me in, as I've seen my own club, Motherwell, go into administration in 2002 after years of poor financial management. While the sale of James McFadden was what ultimately pulled us out of that, there has also been a stark change in approach in recent years. While we had a couple of years of relative success on the pitch, we still did seem to lose money every year. However, in 2011, the Well Society was formed to help the club financially, and eventually, in 2016, Motherwell became the first UK top-flight club entirely owned by the fans. This, along with shrewd transfer dealings, 
have seen us post profits in consecutive years, as well as being relatively successful on the pitch, reaching both cup finals, he says, comfortable finishes in the league, etc. Anyway, keep up the good work. That's from Fraser Anderson. Yeah, it's not, I don't think, just, I don't want to speak for Steve. I don't think it's to Please say... Do, would, I've got biscuit. In my that's mouth. true. <laughs> I don't think it's to say necessarily that fan ownership would automatically be problematic, but it's not necessarily... I think it's often seen as a panacea of if the fans own the club, then everything would be all right. There are... That's a, Motherwell is a great story. It's brilliant for Motherwell that it's worked out. But there are, there are counter examples that suggest that it doesn't always work. Portsmouth, I think, had fan ownership at some point and it... In fact, no, I think, to be fair, I think Portsmouth fan ownership worked really well, but it limited how far the club could go. And they've had to sell to Michael Eisner, who seems to be quite a good owner, to try and kick on to the next level. So there are drawbacks with it. I think the, the problem that I have with it, and I don't know about Steve, is that people say, turn them over to the fans. A, as though that's an easy process. B, as though there's, there's some sort of government sta- like inst- instrument that could be used to do that. I'm not sure there is. It's a private, it is ultimately a private company. That is legally what a football club is. Um, and C, I don't think it's, it's guaranteed that the fans would necessarily do that well. I think that it's, it's not, yeah, it's not a panacea. It would depend who your fan is. Yeah. If your fan is an astute business person with a passion for the club and ability to think with a clear head and make the right decisions, which may well be the case at Motherwell, I yeah. don't know, then, yeah, obviously, then that would seem like a, a logical path for a club to take. But it, I, th- I think, in general, fans' association with a club would make them bad at the business ownership side of it. Well, listen, there's one other thing to, to say on that, and it's, it, it's maybe quite a delicate thing. I think it probably works better either at one of the, the non-old firm Scottish clubs where you you are... Motherwell, Motherwell fans are not pushing their, their team to win the league. They're not expecting their team to compete in Europe or in the lower leagues in England. That's not to equate the, the top flight of, the, of the, whatever the hell the SPL is called now um, and, and like lead two. But in an environment where expectations and demands are lower, it's probably easier to, to say, right, the fans are going to take charge. You're going to have a bond with this community institution, but it may not translate automatically into success, success on the pitch. Try and tell Man United fans that they had to, they had to sort of downgrade their expectations because, oh, it's a community institution now. I'm not sure that works. I think that there is a difference in, ha- in, in, the way that cer- in what certain clubs need, potentially. Manchester United is a good example because of clearly what happened uh, when the Glazers uh, took over the club. Uh, there is an equivalent in business. I suppose that's a cooperative, but the cooperatives still have a board. Yes. And they still have a group of people making the decisions on behalf of the shareholders. Yeah, well, John Lewis, technically, is owned by its employees, isn't it? But I'm not, I, I don't think they all get to vote on, on like each decision. I'm not sure not how that everything, works. everything, I don't no. think. Uh, but you, please do correct us if you know better. And, and just to finish on the fan thing, you know, even if fan ownership isn't necessarily the answer, fan involvement Yes, definitely can yeah, be, yeah. and you only need to look at the, the German football yeah. uh, in terms of the way that Bundesliga drugs, uh, Bundesliga clubs are structured with the fifty plus one share structure that limits somebody's ability to have complete and utter control, and there is always a voice from the supporters groups within the within the structure within the boardroom. Then that clearly clearly has proved to be successful in Germany. I'm surprised Stephen took the example of the Bundesliga, for although it does it does obviously touch on his professional interests his personal interests very much of course is in Sweden uh, and I Mal- in Sweden they have a similar rule that you have to have there's a 50 plus 1 rule in Sweden where you, you have to have the, the club majority owned by the fans just looking at the um, the Swedish the Allsvenskan table there just be interested to hear Steve read it <laughs> <laughs> if you wouldn't mind Since Stephen. he's so good at pronouncing Swedish if names If you wouldn't mind Jurgården Ike Malmö Håkan Göteborg Hammarby No Shopping Örebro Elfsborg Helsingborg Östersund Sirius Kalmar Falkenberg Eskilstuna and Sundsvall Sundsvall really struggling Everybody uh, apart from the Swedish listener fraternity applauds uh, they may well be utterly, utterly yeah. insulted. Any, any Swedes listening, do get in touch. Tell us exactly where you went <laughs> yeah. wrong. Please record yourselves and we'll play it out. Uh, Beck Richmond has sent this. Remember Beck? Well, Beck gets a mention because she has an idea similar to me. Uh, well, her husband does. And while I desperately tried to push on the airwaves the morning after Barry's sad demise, to absolutely no avail whatsoever because nobody would give me a chance to speak. Beck says this. The episode on the 92, even pre the final drama for Barry and Bolton, was really fascinating and thought-provoking. 
some reason I didn't delete that. So thank you, she says. And it drove some deep thinking in our household. Whilst I know we can't control the EFL, and then she says, indulge yourself for a moment, though, and envisage what a halcyon place it would be if the four of you were in charge. My husband, Bear, came up with a great Pardon? addendum. His name is Bear. Is a that a name or a nickname? Addendum. A bear is, could be both. Bear Grylls, uh, just f- as an example. Need further clarification on that. Bear, could you don't please think clarify? He, don't think he was christened Bear. Put it this way. She tells us a lot about Bear, okay. apart from that. Okay. Um, he came up with a great addendum to the, wouldn't it be great if the default was to take the club from the naughty owner and give it back to a community entity, but how could they fund everything anyway? Argument. Bear used to be an actuary. He's much more fun now, says Beck. And apparently in the world of pensions... I used to live in an actuary. At the two, in fact. Uh, apparently in the world of pensions, says Beck, there is a thing called the Pension Protection Fund, which many people will know about. Mm. In a nutshell, the idea is that all of the companies that fund a pension scheme for their employees pay a small levy each year, which goes into a central pot. If any company goes bust, money from that pot is used to ensure that there is at least some provision for the employees left behind. It doesn't cover everything, but it's better than naught pounds. Bear's theory is that such a levy could be paid by every club in the EFL so that a pot could exist to get any Phoenix club back up and running with community management initially rather than having a club like Barry disappear. I thought this was brilliant. Doubtless too brilliant for the EFL to con- contemplate, she says, but I thought that you might. Love from Beck Richmond and Bear, former financial whiz kid and now doctor of theoretical physics, which she says is much sexier. He sounds like he's far too intelligent to be listening to us. To be perfectly honest. And well, to, she and might she, have passed it on, frankly. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, but equally, it sounds like she's probably too intelligent to be listening to us. We shouldn't limit our demographic. That's a brilliant idea. That is a really good, that's is a really good idea. It's the, the idea that I tried to push on it's five a really good the idea. morning after. The idea of having essentially what was in the late 2000s after the financial crash, the bailout system, the bailout for banks. It's the same system. You have either, not in this situation, government funded, obviously, because that's not allowed, but to have some sort of pot which allows you to deepen, dig yeah. into when you feel that there has been a club that has been subjected to some dastardly um, yeah. financial mismanagement. Yeah, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't need to be limited to the EFL. You maybe could make that a condition of being a professional club. You, you, you write it into the statutes that a, any professional club in England has to make a contribution of some percentage of its revenues to, to this fund. And to be honest, in most cases... You wouldn't need a vast amount of money to kind of provide for a year's running costs for most teams below probably the top half of the championship. It wouldn't be a huge sum. And it would be a better redistribution, potentially, of the solidarity payments from yeah. the Premier League to put at least some of it, if not all of it, into that centralised pot. And it then, I, know, I appreciate it's a centralised pot that is redistributed amongst the clubs anyway, but perhaps it should be redistributed so some of it is in a, an untouchable trust, essentially. So just like when you're a kid and you only get your trust when you turn 18 or 21, you only, get, you only get... Well, or nothing, but you get. A, um, there are certain things that have to be met before you are, yeah. you have access to. The, did you have to spend a night in that spooky castle? <laughs> at, at the very least. The, is the problem not that it might incentivise clubs to run risks? Exactly, and of course, the other thing is to take into account is how transparent a football finance is in terms of where where how much would your contribution be open to a little bit of shenanigans. It's a lovely idea, yeah. but like everything that we talked about during that episode, which has generally gone down quite well, uh, one or two who, who felt otherwise thought we were a little bit off the mark, but that a lot of it is based on some kind of nirvana that perhaps is unachievable, you know, oil tanker, turnaround, too many yeah. problems, all that sort of stuff. What Steve's referring to there is, is some conversations that we had on Twitter with people who felt that we, that we didn't, that maybe we, how would you characterise it? That we, we were looking from the point of view of kind of the elite almost as if to say the, the the idea of questioning the existence of the 92 is is, is saying well actually we're, we're accepting we we're accepting the that the, the world is bad and we we're saying right, right how do we function within it and that we should maybe focus more on the the bad ownership and the bad governance of of the efl and the premier league previously but the bad ownership of the of individual clubs which is which is an interesting subject but the thing is that there's there's quite a lot of cases so if we just run through all of them, that probably would have taken two or three episodes, which would have been fine. It would have been interesting. They're all they're all interesting stories. They're all important stories. But I think certainly to me, it's the pattern that matters more. And what so that's bear, the bear idea is quite a good example. That that is a it's a really nice idea. But Steve is quite right. The problem is that how much of that is going to settle in bad debts, and how much is it to do with owners who are thinking right? There's this there's this bailout fund here. That's what happened with the banks. The banks basically thought right, we can do what we like now because the the public will pay us off. Yeah. We'll we'll make sure we can keep running. More likely to take a risk rather than less likely. Yeah, exactly. So th- how do you how do you begin to change that? It's really hard to 
to to look at that and think right this is a world which we can we can where we can act in good faith and expect to have good faith consequences when you clearly can't so how do you you have to change that attitude before you start thinking well actually we need to we, that we can we can kind of take a positive approach almost like a, an optimistic approach you have to kind of be pessimistic with football ownership we were sort of limited or we limited ourselves as to what you know four guys who generally just like sitting around drinking coffee and eating cake might be able to suggest or or achieve to make the situation a little bit better I don't think the idea of going after the the big clubs and the way that they are run and the way they are financed is 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 realistic in you know that's a longer term ambition you know what in the short term could we maybe do I mean a couple of the other criticisms that uh, we faced on Twitter about it was that we hadn't delved into why these clubs had got themselves into trouble in the first place well that was never the objective of the conversation it was like this is where we are now what can we do to maybe improve it and and one which was a very valid point regarding the idea of splitting league one and league two into north and south is that you would have a potential dead season Mm. as you went through the transition but again i would i would suggest that or and and just sorry to, to tag onto that the idea that well why would the bigger clubs say in league one vote for something that meant that they were suddenly lumped in with maybe smaller clubs from their part their region their half of the country and it might you know might affect or impact on their ability to get promotion but I think surely the you'd you'd like to think at the bigger picture and say well we might have to take one slightly Mm. stale season to improve things going forward there's there's almost no way that you could change the structure of English football that wouldn't have an impact for at least one campaign and look we're going to have an example coming up with the World Cup in 2020 where where clubs are going to have to change the way they do things to accommodate a a World Cup in a different part of the year to what they're used to doing so you know we'll we'll potentially get a good idea then of how well clubs are able to adapt well also on the size thing I mean Accrington are lead one and they're pretty much the smallest club in the the professional structure but by by budget by kind of reach they're a great Accrington are a great club but they're not you know, the, the Coventry and Bolton and they, they, these big teams are all having to play Accrington. They're not. It's, to be honest, there isn't. I don't think there's a vast amount of difference between the size of the stature of clubs in League One and League Two. Just very quickly from Karen Damiger, who has been in touch before. I know this because he praised my pronunciation of his name, which is not Swedish. Uh, dear Rory, Andy, and others, he says, whilst it is heartbreaking and immensely sad to lose such integral institutions in local communities, this might seem a bit cold. But is the situation really that bad? If one league club has gone out of beat, one league club has gone out of business in 25 years. There have been many close calls but almost every time local communities have been able to step in or find new people to take over and implement a more sustainable business model to me just looking at local high streets around the western world so few clubs actually going out of business doesn't seem that bad bad compared to local retailers manufacturers etc and the jobs that have gone with them p.s using oyster cards in london after living in new york was like being shown Klopp and Guardiola after only watching Paul Jewell <laughs> all your life. Looking forward to more of Chinch's soccer stories and out of context reacher from Karen. Not today, Karen, not today. Although instead of a soccer story, we do have a treat for Rory. More on which will be explained in due course. Out of context reacher passages, by the way, please do at setpiecemenu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Just find a book, open it on a random page, take a picture and tweet or email it to us. It's not hard, unlike Jack Reacher who is very hard. Um, to our subject then on today's set piece menu, uh, we're going to have a bit of fun while also resurrecting something we haven't done for a while. Steve has come up with an idea. So without further ado, I'm Gary Lineker doing a match of the day intro. On the other side of the table, Stephen Wyeth was watching. I was listening actually to the radio and it sparked something that we have kind of touched upon in the past. Mm. The idea of being so underrated you are, in fact, rated. And there is a whole world of players out there who seem to be... They're effectively hiding in clear sight mm-hmm. the unappreciated, the unadmired, yet there they are, part of the top 1% of the elite 1%, plying their trade at the very highest level of the game, yet constantly are having this idea that they are underrated, underappreciated... Uh, that they are secondary to the stellar talent around them in the team. I thought, we we must be able to put together, with the help of the set-piece menu audience, a so underrated, they are in fact rated, select 11. There's got to be a whole team of players. So basically we're talking about players of whom the sentence, he's one of the most underrated players in the Premier League, has ever been used. 
but you hear it about that player all of the time. Yeah. So they're clearly consistently doing something to impress, to draw the focus of, you know, whether it's television, radio, newspapers, into their influence on the game, or this phenomenal run of goal scoring that they're on, or these clean sheets that they're keeping, yet are still being referred to as being underrated, even though to get to this stage of their career... They have clearly been rated since probably the age of 13. Well, yeah, that's true. But we are kind of talking about two separate things, aren't we? We're talking about being rated, being re- held in high regard by your peers and coaches and contemporaries and your business associates or whatever. Your kind of professional regard that you are held in. Because obviously everybody in the Premier League is held in extraordinarily high regard in that sense. I was at the North London Derby not so long ago and I was sat next to Timsey from Copper 90 who many many people on, on the internet will know. At the end of the game, uh, two kids, we were sat next to each other and two kids were, were pointing at us and like, that would have been eight or nine and I remember thinking, oh God, this would be really awkward if they asked for my, asked for a selfie. <laughs> oh, no. Had no interest in me whatsoever. Just went straight to Timsey and he looked, he had the good grace to look a little bit bashful about it but then looked really comfortable having his selfie taken with people because it happens all the time. Does he photograph well? He photographs and extremely well. good looking. He's a very handsome man um, and I imagine very, very photogenic. But yeah, he was, um, we were talking about Stodra Mustafi and he was saying that he wa- he's an Arsenal fan who said he wanted he kind of wanted Mustafi gone but felt as though maybe it had gone a bit this whole kind of isn't Stradran Mustafi the worst player in history had maybe gone a bit too far and we sort of agreed that like there's this idea that and Mustafi's quite a good example of it that Mustafi he's a great example that Mustafi is is clearly not an elite elite defender he is not Virgil van Dijk or Imerick Laporte but he would get into like 13 other Premier League teams. Stradra Mustafi is by pretty much any gauge other than the gauge of are you Virgil van Dijk is a really good defender. And we, we, we have this ability to lose perspective in football is really, really contorted often in different ways from the same person depending on the context. So in in one light you'd say Mustafi is, is dreadful what a, what a liability if you put Stodra Mustafi into Crystal Palace's team you'd be like this, this man has revolutionised this defence just see Stodra Mustafi he's clearly a really good player he's really good at football they're all really good at football so the relative value is important because it yes. seems like and, and we will probably couch this conversation not necessarily in how they are viewed by their peers because as Rory says they are all supported and they're all re- they're all really good at football and people who know a lot about football know exactly. that they're all really good at football but there set there tends to be often a narrative driven by the media by fans the punditocracy who decide that a player is this and we are going to try and draw together those players who it has been decided that they are this so often and so much they become the inverse of that so should we have an example well the the example that was being talked about on the radio that that made me think this was a worthwhile topic of conversation was Ashley Barnes scorer of Four goals in his first three Premier League appearances of the season. That's a pretty impressive strike rate at any level, particularly at the very top level, yet is underrated. And that made me try and think a little bit further down the line as to who else had been sort of tagged like this in recent times. It's only 12 months ago since I was reading articles about James Milner being so underrated. He's in fact rated. This is a player that we have been very consciously aware of ever since he broke into the Leeds team at the age of 16. Who was once the youngest player in Premier League history, no? Yes, exactly. So it seems extraordinary that now he's into his 30s. We're like, a bit underrated, isn't he? James, I mean, he's not, you know, he's not quite had the career that maybe... You this know, it, journeyman this, pro. <laughs> no, but there's, pro- there's, probably two, there's probably two themes in those two players, both of whom are, of whom are excellent citations, Steve, that, that are, are quite telling. One is Milner is the player we've got used to. And so you begin to, o- you begin to overlook what they do well and see the flaws because you've become so familiar with them that you know what their flaws are. So you know that James Milner, for example, doesn't score that many goals or isn't lightning he's good at quick. penalties. He's really good at penalties, but he doesn't score that often from open play. Or he's not. James Milner is not exciting, particularly. He's not an exciting player to watch. And I say that as someone whose brother-in-law went to school with him. Uh, and therefore, I'm a big fan of James Milner. With Ashley Barnes, it's almost a fashion thing, isn't it? That he came up through the, through the lower leads. He, he's always been cast as this kind of hard-working, doughty, fighting spirit, not technically accomplished striker. And I think that with, with Ashley Barnes, that stereotype of what he was probably blinds us to what he is, which is a- actually a really effective, quite good 
Premier League player who has been around for what five, six years now in the Premier League and doesn't look out of his depth. He came up with Burnley, didn't he? He was part of the Burnley so. team that, that, he, that was he, came up, he definitely came up with them. I'm not sure which time he came up with them. Well, perhaps then to finish the train of thought, because this is what makes this subject so interesting, I think, is that there's very different categories of player that get drawn into the discussion. The other one, who even as recently as the beginning of the year, in fact, just before the beginning of this season, I saw sort of tagged with this, are they underrated? Roberto Firmino. Yes. Who's underrating Roberto Firmino? It's not like he was playing in a pub league <laughs> before he came to Liverpool and struggled to adapt. He was doing brilliantly for Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga and has been pretty much exceptional for Liverpool ever since he got here. But I wonder with Firmino, is it not that, that maybe that's a different type of underrated? So the other two strikers get more attention than Firmino does. But you're quite right that in theory, the other two strikers get more attention than Firmino does. But we, we say so often that the other two strikers get more attention than Firmino does that maybe Firmino gets just as much attention. It's just it's always prefaced in that way. And exactly, and this is the point that I think you're making, Stephen, is that they are couched in that phraseology yeah. so much to talk about them being underrated. We've spoken about them to such an extent in terms of frequency that they are clearly rated because yeah. we are rating them for being underrated yes. and, we're drawing and, attention to the, in the their involvement you know in Firmino's yeah. case we have drawn attention regularly to the contribution he makes to the goals that yeah. that Mane and Salah score uh, so, so given given that that I think you, you, you're right to categorise and there are different categories there are ones that are that are rated because of the frequency or underrated because of the narrative and then we speak about them so much that it's the frequency that make them rated there are those like for example at at, at tournament, pre-tournaments, we tend to talk about the dark horse. Oh, they're a dark horse, they're a dark horse. And then you talk about the dark horse so much, you shine such a light yes. on that dark horse, they become simply a horse. Well, uh, surely so the whole concept of asking people, who is your dark horse for the tournament, means they're not a dark horse. Exactly, because, because people are talking yeah. about them. So there's, there's that category as well, which, which I would probably call... As a, as a subtitle, The Hipster's Choice. Okay, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is why I'm talking about the media or the punditocracy, talking about people who are hipster choices, and then eventually they might enter the mainstream because they are so rated. And then there's the third thing, which, as you say, Rory, is very important. It is about how fashionable they are, either the club that they're at or indeed the position or style yeah. that they play. So Andy Hinchcliffe, who is currently in Portugal, he wanted to make the point to us that there are those, particularly if they play for Burnley, because Burnley homogeneously are underrated, mm. that those players within that Burnley structure are underrated. Michael Keane, as was now clearly at Everton, Ben Mee, he mentions uh, as well. He wants to mention uh, Jack Cork yeah, but as these, players this is who different. are underrated because of the the team, the environment in which they play, which are considered either underrated or, as we said in the third example of underratingness, they are unfashionable. But this is different. Though, so Ben Mee is underrated. Ben Mee, ben Mee is, a, is a good central defender who isn't often mentioned when you talk about good central defenders. That is being underrated. I would say that being un so underrated, they become rated. A better example is maybe Harry Maguire, who was at Leicester, first at Hull and then at Leicester, was, was actually, do you know, Harry Maguire is quite, quite good. That was kind of the tone you took. I'm astonished by this. Yeah, and... It was so he goes through the kind of actually Harry Maguire is underrated, and then lots of people notice that Harry Maguire is underrated. So actually, it becomes, of course, Harry Maguire is quite, quite underrated. I don't know why he's so underrated. And th at that point, you think, right, well, you are, you have now gone through that. Glass you're over wall, the threshold, and you're in our team. And you you are Harry Maguire, eighty million pound central defender <laughs> because you are rated. So yeah, there's there's those, there's those players that that you have to go through the threshold. The crucial there's lots of underrated players. And Chinch is totally right that the Burnley team, Tom Heaton was a great example of it. Tom Heaton was underrated for a long time. But then it got to the stage where Tom, people kept saying, isn't Tom Heaton underrated? And then he got picked for England. And then he got picked for England. He's just, he's just Tom Heaton has passed through the threshold. And to be honest, what we're saying is the word underrated should no longer apply to them. There comes a point where you can't discuss them in, in, you can't frame the discussion of them as yes. being underrated in any way. And that's why I really like the Harry Maguire example, because that is a player who's effectively... You know, if, we'd ha if we were having this conversation 18 months ago, would have probably get gets in our team. But he's transitioned through it now. He's, yeah. he's, beyond, he's beyond our se selection criteria because the minute you become the most expensive defender in world football, you can't be underrated. You can't be so underrated that you're rated. You can't be 
Harry Maguire's a bit underrated. He's one. He, Harry Maguire is no longer one of the most underrated players in the Premier League because he cost eighty million pounds. But why was he underrated in the first place? Because he played for Hull, an unfashionable club. Because he is, we must admit, very good looking, but might not photograph particularly well. Um, is Harry Maguire very good looking? I'm just giving an example that doesn't defend him. But there are there. You know, is that is that the lack Slam of head. lack of fashion, the it's lack of photogenic nationality, nationality. I think this is going to sound like a, a really Brexity wine, and it's not meant to, but. I think we have a tendency to to assume the worst of, of British players. I think we tend in to think certain in certain positions. In certain positions, yeah, that we t- that, that there is, and, and it's definitely not. I'm, I'm the last person in the world who would make who makes the kind of well, you know, if his name was Sam Samuele Aladici, he'd be managing Inter Milan type argument. But I think that's complete nonsense. But I do think that, that, that as a kind of football culture, media fans as a whole we tend to be reassured in some way by, we've signed this guy for, for, for £30 million pounds from sport in Lisbon, in a way that we're not by, he cost £5 million quid from Hull, or whatever, Maguire cost Leicester. And I think that, that contributes to it. So I think initially, well look, initially, Harry Maguire maybe wasn't that good. He was kind of a, a upper half of the Championship, lower half of the Premier League defender when he was at Sheffield United and Hull. That's, that's fine, he's allowed to develop as a player. You don't, it, it doesn't make you bad at football, at, at kind of spotting talent, if you thought when he was at Hull, if you couldn't see that maybe one day he would cost eighty million pounds, like well, I didn't he cost think he Leicester would. fifteen something like that, and that he was quite a lot for that Leicester, raised yeah. significant eyebrows. It felt like a kind of because at that point we we were obviously underrating him. But no, but it's not necessarily that you're underrating him. It's just that you're working with the information you have available, and so you're allowed to form opinions based on that. Saying and we didn't watch Hull enough. No, we, we ever <laughs> people watched Hull, and Harry Maguire looked quite good for Hull, so it felt like quite it felt like a lot of money to pay for someone who looked quite good for Hull. The reason that they are all employed in football and we are not is that they can see things in that performance that make them think if we pay that and we develop develop him, then we get something better. I, that's not our job. I'm I'm not a scout. Neither of you two are scouts. Even Chinch, who's, who was a player, is not a scout. The reason Leicester paid money for him was because they have scouts who can spot that sort of stuff, and they did they did their job really really well. Um, but I think I think probably at Leicester he was underrated. That's the only time he was underrated. And then he went, as Steve says, he goes to Man United, and that in, in the act of signing for Man United, he can't be underrated anymore. And this is another this dealing with the in, the information at your disposal is a really key factor to this. You know, to what you hear talked about on radio phone-ins, and you know what people might talk about with their mates after a game about underrated players is that that's because they've just noticed for the first time what this player might have the capability to do and here's a little bit of a tip for you this season's under emerging underrated player perhaps taking over from James Milner Fabian Delph everybody yes will be this season's James Milner I was travelling back from Sweden the day of the Everton Wolves game in the Premier League. So I was just like, you know, I was following it, following the football that day uh, via Twitter. And people were talking about Fabian Delph as though he'd come from nowhere. Mm. His influence on the game. Oh my God. What a play effect. What a signing of the summer. This could be the best piece of transfer business any Premier League (laughs) club has done in history. Bringing Fabian Delph in and playing him in central midfield for Everton. Well, no... You've just started to know, because he's left Manchester City where he was a peripheral figure and now he's playing for Everton and was dictating large elements of the game. He hasn't become a better player since he left yeah. one club for, the, for another, but he is getting the opportunity to perhaps better demonstrate what he can do. Or more importantly, because he's not surrounded by David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero, Imeric Laporte, you've actually noticed what he's doing. Yeah. And you just hadn't appreciated it before because what he's doing is relatively straightforward and boring compared to what those exceptional players at but Manchester the, City were the doing. The appreciation for him prior was the fact that he made a good left-back for a team in which it was probably easier to be a good left-back because yeah. in Guardiola's first, in his 100-point season, this first Premier League title, Fabian Delph played left-back more than anybody else. Mm. And, and he was good there, but the, the, the reason that he was good was because of Guardiola's ability to make him good and also because of the inverted fullbacks, it meant that he played a lot of time in central midfield anyway, so he did use his existing skill set. But that's why the Fabian Delph thing this season will be interesting because it's within the kind of the wheelhouse of what you would have expected it to be mm. years ago when he broke through and was picked for England very, very early in his career. But what Steve is also touching on quite rightly is that kind of context-dependent perspective. So at Man City, whenever you saw to Fabian Delph on the team sheet, particularly in central midfield, you kind of thought, mm, 
Who's injured? Who's injured? Or you know, a bit bit odd from Guardiola. Although admittedly, that didn't happen no. at all. Pretty much, he he probably played in there two or three times. Yeah. That's all from or, the start. Or you saw him at left back, and it's probably fair enough to see Fabian Delph at left back. And if you're a, a team of any reasonable kind of ambition, you probably would look at that and think, right, that's the weak point. We have to have a we got got to have a go at their 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 left their left flank because they are playing Fabian Delph out of position. That is a fair enough thing to think. But the, what gets lost is that there comes a point where being thought probably rightly as one of the weaker players in a in a squad of superstars is confused with he's rubbish. And what Fabian Delph never was, was rubbish. He maybe is not Kevin De Bruyne, but he's not rubbish. The, the, and I think we, we, we really... It's a, it should be such an easy thing to avoid doing, but because of the way we, we all talk about football we tend not to be able to do it. And that is to remember that these are, that even the worst player on Man City's, in Man City's squad is probably good enough to get into pretty much every other team. And so you, you end up with this kind of thing where he, it's not that, so Fabian Delph was, has probably just been getting better as a footballer the last few years. He was always a very good one. But there comes a point where people overlooked that and think, well, if, he, if you're not Kevin De Bruyne, then you are terrible at football. And that, that is not really fair. So basically, Fabian Delft has gone to Everton and is just being Fabian Delft. Steve's right, he is going to be that player who, everyone, who it becomes fashionable to say he's underrated. But the, re- the only reason he's at all underrated is because of our own ignorance. There is, there is a, a sense for some reason that there is a finite amount of footballers and they all play in the Premier League and they are the very worst footballer in the entire world at one end and the very best footballer in the entire world at the other end from naught to 100% and for some reason if you are in the lower echelons of Premier League footballery mm. you are terrible yeah. but of course as Steve said earlier you're in the top 1% of the top 1% yeah. of all footballers but there is that strange thing that we we tend to treat every Premier League footballer as being the only footballers in the world and therefore the comparison yeah. is ridiculous. Like you said earlier on about if you're not Virgil van Dijk, you are therefore rubbish. Somebody like um, Chinch mentions Michael Keane now at Everton at Burnley. We mentioned him a bit before that if you're considered not the best, you can't be very good. Yeah. You have to be terrible. Yeah. It's... And the comparison means that, that, we, that we make all these mistakes. But I think it applies more to players at, let's say, top half clubs. I think if you're if you're like Brighton or Bournemouth or Sheffield United, then you probably aren't. It seems as, you're, as though you're judged by a different set of standards because it's only for, certainly top six teams that you get this thing of this international with fifty-seven caps is dreadful. He, I can't believe he's a footballer. And you think, well, I can. He's got fifty-seven caps for his country, and he's he's been a professional for fifteen years, so he's probably quite good at football. Yes, a lot of people that know what they're talking about regarding football keep selecting him or yeah. keep signing him so good. yeah he must be doing something yeah. right can I bring a player in from yesteryear who might have gone through this process and that is Phil Neville Phil Neville played as a kind of a, a joke left back for England in the yeah. 3-2 defeat to Romania in Euro 2000 uh, and was kind of the jack of all trades master of none tag was given to him in, in the same way that it isn't really given to somebody like James Milner uh, in yeah. the current climate and eventually when he got to Although James Milner can play in just as many positions as Phil <laughs> yeah. Neville did. But I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure he's slightly better than Phil Neville in all of them. Is he trying to suggest Phil Neville's more underrated than James Milner? <laughs> yes, please. Because he might be, yeah, yeah. I, I need to check Rory's caps, got the look of a man who's going to invite you outside. Mil- Mil- no, Milner no, 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 has no, slightly more caps, I think. For no, but anyway, all I was going to say is that, that Phil Neville then eventually became rated because he, he illustrated versatility, his, yeah. his versatility, had, had merit because he played in central midfield for Everton where he was their captain and generally was considered as a rated central midfielder in the last five or six years of his career. Yeah, I think that there probably is a, there's probably a, like a rebalancing Maybe he process. could be the manager. He would, he, and he's, Phil Neville does not underrate himself as a manager. That's become abundantly clear. <laughs> the, That's because he photographs very well because of all the time he spends in Valencia. Yes, I think that there is probably a process whereby players who are, but that's what, yeah, who, players who are so underrated they're rated are then at, towards the tail end of their career, and it's happening with Milner, are probably so rated they're overrated a little bit that's probably the, maybe that's the flip side of it does that I mean like Phil, Phil Neville's quite an example Phil Neville was, a, was, a really, was a, obviously a really good footballer he was a really good player for both Man United and Everton he had a, a full and rich career he did that brilliant tweet about having about self-pleasuring on the beach early on his, in his coaching <laughs> career which is which is now deleted so you won't now, be able to find now it now deleted so it's not there <laughs> oh, but someone will have screenshot that yeah the, um, let's not dress him up as anything more than he was like he was a he was a useful 
But it's fair to say he was eventually rated. He was eventually rated, and I think he was probably... And the same thing might happen with Milner a little bit. He was, there probably comes a point where you sort of think, all right, dial it, dial it down a little bit. Like, they're not, they're, not, like they're, not, they're not Maradona. Do you know what I mean? They're not. And this is, this is what I mean about the hipster's choice. There is hipster versus mainstream. When it's hipster it's considered underrated but cool. Mm. And then it gets into the mainstream. The hipsters say, hang on a minute, dial it down a bit. Either yeah. give it back to us. Yeah. Or alternatively, you've gone too far and I don't want, I want to wash my hands of this player because they are now known by everybody. I think you could, you could throw, there's, there's probably a rich seam to be mined in this, in this subject of underrated then kind of almost overrated because they're so underrated in Brazilian defensive midfielders. The Casemiro question. Casemiro, Alan... Gilberto Silva? Gilberto, and as was, yeah. I mean, to an extent, Fernandinho, it becomes very... And this isn't... I'm not saying they're overrated, but it becomes very fashionable almost to say, actually, do you know what? You know, Alan is such a fantastic player. Because you don't I'd, expect I'd Brazilians just, to do that because yeah, Brazilians yeah, yeah. are flair-based. Also, not. he's called Alan. I'd have <laughs> yeah. picked him over Jorginho. They signed the wrong player from Napoli. I think, well, they probably did because Alan is brilliant. <laughs> but There are too many Brazilians called Alan who play football. This is a double L, Alan. Oh, but, right, okay. Yeah. So Alan is, is you, who you, you'll have watched more than me. Alan is fantastic. Yes, he is. Yeah. But he is, un, he is un, in inverted commas, underrated. Until but at the same time, signs he him. is always prefaced with the underrated Alan. <laughs> Alan Therefore... Alan is, Alan is Not a great non-Premier League suggestion. Yeah, but that, that, so I think that is, what is the kind of, that's the scene we're, we're working in, is those players who, who are really good, who everyone kind of knows are really good, but for some reason, we, we think they don't quite get the, the praise they deserve, so we feel we have to say they're underrated. It's like taking a passage from a Lee, Lee Child thriller, giving it to Andy Hinchcliffe to read out. It is what their context is, and if you take them out of that context. So the Brazilian central midfield, gutsy central midfielder, um, it is a player like Ashley Barnes, who you don't expect to yeah. be scoring very many goals because he's just supposed to be uh, there to, to cause problems and be physical and maybe get a knockdown so that somebody can latch onto it. These, the, it, it is taking them out of, their, of a context which you would assume they would be in, yeah. and that kind of makes them underrated. It's, yeah, it's, it's imposing on them a set of limitations that you yourself have come up with. The, another example, I think, is Cesar's Pilicueta. That was yes. In fact, as I as I read up on this, that was another name that came that came up that I was thinking of. So he is, yeah, yeah. I think, captain of Chelsea. He is indeed. He is a Spanish international. Yeah. He has had a long and storied career, and yet there is still the sense that Cesar Aspilicueta doesn't get the amount of appreciation he deserves. I think Cesar Aspilicueta is fantastic. Partly, I think the reason that he's not praised as much as, or people feel he's not praised as much, is just he's more defensive than attacking. He's a Spaniard who can tackle, but. At the same time, by what gauge is Cesar Azpilicueta underrated? He is, he, he's, he, it's okay just to be like a Premier League mainstay. You don't have to be praised to the hilt. But I bet the other thing is that I bet there's certain really, really prolific positions for this. And I would say both fullback positions, defensive midfield, whereas attackers, it's probably a bit rarer. Someone like Ashley Barnes, but I think Firmino is, is a great example of, of a player who was never really that underrated and is now, for some reason, nonsensically described as underrated. <laughs> it, the, uh, the other position, I don't think we should suggest someone for this position because I'd be fascinated to find out what, what we get suggested for. Goalkeeper. Because goalkeepers are either brilliant or rubbish. Yeah. There is no yeah. nuance to the goalkeeping position. So I'd be really interested to, to, to get the I suggestions. Your, your Tom Heaton one was the best that we've that Heaton, that I can think Heaton of. would be my choice. But I think, I, th- I think he's tipped out of the team. I think he's followed, uh, I think he's followed Harry Maguire out of the team. He would have been in at one point. Yeah. I mean, Fabianski. Fabianski still gets, just, yeah, still signed by lots of. But Fabian, so Fabianski has a, has a fascinating career arc where he sort of oscillates wildly between joke and respected pro, basically about every three weeks, and you sort of think, well, actually, is Fabianski? Is Fabianski Chesney as well? Yeah. Arsenal. Arsenal I've literally just said, let's not, not suggest a goalkeeper. It'd be really interesting. <laughs> I think you're going to have to beep out the names of the goalkeepers you've just suggested. <laughs> we'll stop now. We'll stop now. We'll stop um, now. And the other thing on Azpilicueta is the reason that he's underrated is that his name's quite difficult to say. So people don't like saying it. They don't yeah. have to embarrass themselves by getting it wrong. True. So they just simply don't mention him. Taking, it, taking them out of a context of where you might expect them to be in. We are, we are, we are said by English people. missing the absolute king of this. We need to, we, before we finish, we should mention that, that I mean, this, ba- this episode could be given his name in, as, the kind of, as, the, as the episode died. Does this, we've, what we've done is we've spent like 40 minutes talking about the thing that defines this player and not mentioned him. Who is the player 
who is most often used as a shorthand for saying, actually, I really understand the game. Who is the player who is surrounded by superstars, does the simple things really well, and is, we're constantly told, you know, he doesn't get the credit he deserves, as we give him credit. Who is the player who that sums up? Current player. Current player, but not in the Premier League. Who is the player who makes... who? All you hear about is, ha- is, is either people saying, actually, actually, I, I love him. You know, I think a lot of people don't pay enough attention to him. Or you hear he does a lot of stuff that doesn't get any credit. Is it Sergio Busquets? It's Sergio Busquets. Very good. Sergio Busquets is the ultimate, so underrated, they're rated player. Because every time you get somebody who's good in that position, you tend to gauge about whether they are as good as a new version of Sergio Busquets. Sergio Busquets. Yeah. Busquets is brilliant at what he does. He is the archetypal number five. He, he plays that role to perfection. But he is always prefaced with... He's underrated, or he doesn't get enough credit. He's underrated, he, but he's the best in his position. <laughs> I, w- I would like to have been at the awards ceremony where he took that particular bat on from Fernando Redondo, who was exactly <laughs> the same. Actually, Fernando Redondo is my favourite player. I'm sure at some point in my past I said Fernando Redondo is my favourite player in the world, purely because it felt it feels like saying, "I lo- appreciating Busquets feels like a, a way of saying I am a connoisseur of this sport." Was it? Was it? Has Busquets taken that bat on actually from Claude Makélélé? Because there was a point at which Claude Makélélé left Real Madrid when yeah. they were signing all those Galacticos the first time around. Not the first time around, but that particular generation. They sold them to Chelsea and suddenly Real Madrid, the bottom fell out. Because it was like, oh no, you can't survive that Real Madrid. You can't have the Galacticos without Claude Makélélé. No, and then he had the position named after him. Makélélé is probably the, the other side to quite a lot of this, which is that Makélélé was, I think, really popular with fans, certainly in Madrid and definitely at Chelsea. Uh, he was widely praised by pundits and by obser- other observers as being a really good midfielder. But it was at Real Madrid that Florentino Perez decided, I, I don't need this guy, this guy does nothing. So that, that was a weird thing where he was underrated by... By people within the game. By people we within said the, that those were the people not, that actually Not even people within the game, just one, one guy within the game who happens to own a club. That, that was the problem. So Mat- I, I take your point, Matalele, I think, is a slightly different But he was, he was the hipster's choice in that era because everybody knew that he was vital. Even though he was unglamorous, everybody kind of said, oh yeah, but you can't function yeah, without you know, somebody who's you, as good as Matalele. Do you know, of, of, of that era, I, uh, I always felt Matalele got a lot, to, a, lot, a lot of the attention, whereas actually David, Alba- David Albeda was the, was the superior player. The, um, the, your... <laughs> <laughs> Your issue with Busquets falls down that he's already been in one of our Select 11s. Oh, has he? he, 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 he was he a house or a bag? I can't remember whether he was a house Both. or a bag. <laughs> which, a of course, which, of course, may also preclude the other footballer that I know you want to mention and haven't yet. So underrated. He's rated that by he's Rory. Rated by Rory, at least. I'm just. I'm, this, is, this episode has been a, a, an eye-opening sort of critique of my personality. That's fine. <laughs> the... Why have you not said... Southampton's number seven's name yet. Him? Well, because it's one of the great injustices in, in, <laughs> in modern football that for some reason you people can't see his brilliance. Shane Long. What you people don't realise is that Shane Long is underrated. Shane maybe Long, Shane Long, Long is, is just underrated. Shane Long is not rated. That's the thing. Shane Long is, Shane Long is genuine. Maybe not now. He's, he's obviously knocking on and he is not past his world. prime. But I don't, think, I don't think Shane Long will ever be past his prime. Shane Long... There was a time when Shane Long was, under, was severely underrated as a footballer. I, I, the, the injustice of Shane Long continues to hurt okay, me. So that's a different category altogether. Yeah, so then. Just, that's he's, an, underrated he's an underrated yeah. player. Yeah. And, as is a different category, this is the little coda, of so overrated that they shouldn't be rated at all. Uh, and somebody I'd like to put into that category, and this is just a personal bugbear of mine, Andy Carroll. Andy okay. Carroll is so overrated for his abilities that he plays five minutes after being away from the game for five years through injury and immediately is talked about being having an England recall. It's utterly ridiculous. Almost cost me my marriage. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Martial. So underrated he's rated yeah, so or overrated. just overrated so, that he shouldn't clearly, be rated? Clearly a good footballer but massively overrated. Stores one goal on his debut and he's still trading off it about four years later. Anthony Martial is fine. That is the best. He's fine. He is fine. He, he is, is rated correctly. <laughs> he is no. He's not. He's yes, massively no. overrated. By you, by you. He is fine. There's nothing. He's not a bad player. He's obviously he's obviously an amazing footballer. He's much better at football than me or Hector, for example. Well, he's not as quick as Hector. The particularly when you present him with a squirrel. The <laughs> I have not been able to see Anthony Martial chase a squirrel. No, but if we you see Hector chase a squirrel, he never gets there. The squirrels are even quicker. I reckon Anthony Martial would catch the squirrel. No, not a chance. Not a chance. He's never catching a squirrel. 
Never catching a squirrel. Have you, not, have you seen them climb a tree? We've, well, we've ascertained already that the spaniel can't get the squirrel, so clearly the, the human can't get the squirrel if the spaniel is faster than the human. I would say over short distances, span, all spaniels are quicker than all humans. I think over 100 metres, Hector's having Usain Bolt. I, I believe that that is a gauntlet that has been laid down to the sprinting fraternity. Oh uh, we'll leave it there because that seems a preposterous and uh, apt way to end. Hector, so overrated. <laughs> he should not be rated. By his owner. Are we allowing Sergio Busquets to be in that team, even though he's he been in another one? captain of it. We, we are not the, we we are are not the arbiters, the arbitrators okay. of other people's suggestions. I cannot wait to see what we get. I think it will be fascinating. Please send them. I will do my best to get on top of it on social media and come up with... Maybe we can have a, a little additional discussion at some point and, and put an 11 together. I think this could be one of our best ones yet. So Cesar as Piliqueta is definitely in, definitely a right back. We will build around Cesar, just like we, Chelsea have we, we've got over the last five We've got years. the skeleton of a team. Karim Benzema can be up front. Uh, well, Roberto Firmino has to be up front with, with, with Ashley Barnes. Benzema always got the, oh, well, he doesn't get enough credit. He did play Real Madrid's number nine for a decade. What does he want? Well, we've got more credit you need. <laughs> we've got three strikers already. We've got a few central midfielders, got centre backs, got the odd full back. We probably need some wingers or wide players to potentially get. Maybe win it, but maybe winners are all overrated. Maybe we're drawn to winners. Maybe we will have a wingless wonder mm. of a team. Mm. Uh, thanks, That Alf. entire 1966 team overrated. So get in touch with your suggestions. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can come up with more than one player. We need to fill 11 or at setpiecemenu on Twitter. Now, if it wasn't enough of a Stephen-centric episode already, it's time for our recurring feature. So named because this is the first time that it has recurred for f- sake you don't go to VAR this is when Stephen lets rip about either a misuse or misinformation about the game's new technology last week in this feature's first iteration it became a lengthy conversation involving all four of us so welcome to the new discipline version of for sake you don't go to VAR Selhurst Park Crystal Palace leading Aston Villa by a goal to nil dying embers of the game Jack Grealish goes down under a challenge or throws himself to the floor depending on your interpretation why was this ever, why was that incident ever, ever tagged with the label VAR controversy? Free kick given outside the penalty area cannot be reviewed by VAR. It was plain and simple, a terrible refereeing decision. VAR should never have come into the discussion. Yes, I know it was checked as to whether it should have been a penalty, but the incident happened outside of the penalty area, so that could never have been the case. Why are we allowing all bad decisions in a football match to become a VAR controversy? That was plain and simple, awful refereeing, and the discussion should have gone no further than that. It's the 30 Rock episode in which they go to Boston, not Miami, and Liz Lemon invents someone who makes all the bad things happen, some some superior, and she blames everything on on that guy, and then... Then accidentally she discovers that she's read the, the guy's name off, a, off an actual office and, and the entire mob goes round and attacks him. But that's what VAR's been used for, is it's, oh, it's VAR, it's VAR, yeah. sorry, it's VAR. Blame me VAR for everything. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much indeed. We will recur once again and you will get to rant once more. There'll be plenty. I, I could, we could fill an entire episode each week with it. People, people would not listen. Let, but that, 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 let's not. I said we could. <laughs> now, um, in lieu of either a live or pre-recorded soccer story this week, I wanted to bring your attention uh, to something that we received that has needed a platform that we haven't been able to provide since we received it. Rory is a man of great many ideas, some of the many being great. The one that he is most desperate to make him significantly rich is the Ryder Cup of football. Yes. Rory, can you very briefly explain? Uh, end of the season... Top four leagues in Europe, Spain, Italy, Germany and England. All the teams play in a group, 20 groups, against the teams that finish in their respective positions. So first versus first versus first versus first, second versus second versus second, etc. All the way down to 20th. Bundesliga, you get the top two teams in Bundesliga, Zwei, to, um, to step, to I step in. I think you that inflection the first time. <laughs> that's, that's how you it's, can't say Zwei without that. That's how it's said. Um, and Stam- we've already established in this episode that correct pronunciation is important. You play the games across the world in different time zones. You, you, you make money by selling the TV rights. You basically have kind of a week full of, of endless football. It would happen in my, in my vision. It would happen uh, in non-World Cup and non-European Championship years, which is helped by the fact that the AFCON and the Copa America are going on to the even-numbered years, confused by the fact that you have to allow space for the, for the Women's World Cup and the, with the Women's Continental Championships. Um, but basically, each group would be a little round robin, take about a week, uh, and you would get a point or 
whatever for winning the group for your country at the end you would have a winner of a lead that would declare itself the best in the world well rory Stephen Platt has got in touch. You might remember that Stephen emailed a while ago a while ago about the proposal of awarding additional points for teams to triumph in an aggregate contest over the home and away games between the two in the league season when we were talking floating ideas about how to change the we points. We dismissed system. that pretty rapidly, didn't we? We did, but it was a very interesting way of finding out that it wouldn't change very much about the league table as is and as would be. He says this Hello Stephen, Rory Hugh and Andy. I get in touch again as I find doing the sums for footballing hypotheticals to be a good distraction from writing my PhD on on science fiction in the theatre. Today's missive is regarding an idea that Rory spoke about on the pod last year, the Ryder Cup of football. I turned to a certain popular football-based video game uh, to simulate the results of all 120 matches that would have occurred this summer had UEFA taken heed of Rory's Oh, wow. Oh, boy. I told you a treat. Your PhD is going to be dreadful. (laughs) The team that finished top of their group won in his scoring system, which I think you'll be fine with, Rory. Four points for their league. Runners-up received three. Third-place teams, two. And the bottom side received just one. That makes sense, yeah. Although I don't like giving one to the team that finishes last. It's rewarding failure. Please see the attached spreadsheet, he says, for a rundown of final points and game results. Rory, I will show you this. Stephen, we will put it on at set piece menu. The results, he says, by uh, way of uh, summing up what we see on the spreadsheet so that we don't have to look through it all, were interesting. The inaugural set piece menu Rory Smith Ryder Cup Challenge, or SPMRSRCC, <laughs> ended up with a winner with 59 total points. La Liga. Okay. Finishing level on 52 points, each in second place, Serie A and the Premier League. Serie A pinched second spot from the Premier League by virtue of having more of their teams finish top of their groups. Eight group winners are Italian, only three from the Premier League. A distant fourth place belongs to the Bundesliga, who amassed just 37 points, with 10 German sides finishing bottom of the 20 groups. So what can we learn from this? If anything. Well, this simulation does seem to affirm the oft-held belief of some European football fans that the Spanish league is indeed the strongest, although the narrow margin of victory over Italy and England indicates that any such advantage is not massive. It does seem to indicate that German football is some way off the pace, which is perhaps not surprising given the poor performance of German sides in the European Cup competitions in recent years. What does the panel make of these findings? Would Rory now like to see his idea implemented for real? Or does this mathematical scratching satiate his intellectual itch? And how many more of these numerical-based emails would someone have to submit before potentially being considered for Buffalo status. Oh, if he's done 120 games, he's a Buffalo. In media Buffalo, Stephen, congratulations. I still have, he says, some time left on my PhD and I'm always happy for the distraction. <laughs> Who Thanks is... again for the excellent show, Stephen. Are we paying him to do his PhD? <laughs> is he on some sort of grant? In any way whatsoever. <laughs> no, not us, as, not us as a podcast, obviously. We don't have a budget. I mean, we're in Steve's kitchen. But, <laughs> I mean, d- d- do you get like a grant to do a PhD? I have no from idea. The t- from the taxpayer? I have no idea. You, did you do did I didn't do a PhD, PhD no. no. I could pretend, um, but I wouldn't. That's fascinating. Obviously a buffalo. Uh, no, of course it doesn't. It, it, neither did not, not only does it not sort of scratch my intellectual itch, the point of this idea is that it will make me enormously wealthy. <laughs> that is my main interest in it. I want to sell it to Charlie Solitano. Charlie, why won't you call? The... <laughs> that's, I think that's the second time his name has been invoked in two or three episodes yes. of this podcast. This is going to a Charlie, theme. please get in touch. It's interesting. I, I guess the Bundesliga at the moment does feel a bit weaker. I don't, I don't think there's a vast amount in it. I would have thought Italy would finish bottom, I have to admit. Well, what, what's interesting... I was, yeah, I was certainly surprised that Italy and the Premier League were level. But there's quite a lot of depth in Serie A. That's the thing, I think, sort of, like, fifth to ninth and tenth in Serie A is quite good, in a way that it maybe isn't in Spain, and possibly not in England. The, um, the, clearly, this was simulated by a computer, mm-hmm. and that is the caveat uh, which uh, Stephen put on his email, uh, but also we put on the uh, eventual results the group of the top place finishes in those four leagues finished according to the simulation um, that Stephen did with Juventus winning City second Barcelona third and Bayern Munich at bottom I wouldn't have thought Juve would finish off of that group but strange things happen in football yeah, I, did, uh, we, I suppose we, we have had, had sort of had a real-life version of this with Wolves playing Torino yes, in qualifying yeah. for the uh, Europa League. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you to Stephen yeah, for all his you. efforts. You won't get a cut of what Rory eventually makes, the millions 
and millions. Well, no, if it's, if it's millions, he can have a bit. <laughs> just, a, just a slice. Not a lot. I wouldn't promise him that, actually. He can have a bit. A well, bit. If, the, if the simulation helps swing the deal, ultimately, yeah, if yeah, it goes yeah. through, I think it would be remiss of you yeah. not to you know, kick a, back in his direction. Send him a book. The hard work is very much appreciated. <laughs> a book worth 99p at a service station. <laughs> Bargain bucket. Not worth 99p. <laughs> worth price more, Just price that. Um, so thank you to Steve for all your excellent hard work. If you'd like to redistribute your own hard work into a soccer story, then please do send them to setpiecemenu.gmail.com. Don't forget, those out of context reach uh, uh, passages as well we can't be bothered to find our own sections from the books that we have uh, Rory has the whole collection menu at gmail.com you can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule and thank you to Steve and Rory and to you all for listening we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed we should actually just get you know at the end of a Jack Reacher book you then get the first sort of few pages of the next one maybe we should just get Chinch to do those because it's generally Reacher walking through some part of the Teasing American the upcoming wilderness. Release. Yeah, we've not we've not got we've not got Chinch, you know, out there into the Bear Grylls sort of situation of Reacher reaching his new destination. That's the way to go. I, think. I would. Have th- I just think more sex scenes. I just think I don't. I've never read a Jack Reacher book, but I presume there are some. Yeah, I think we need, we need we need to get Chinch. We need to see whether Chinch can do erotica. That I'm I'm perfectly happy. Uh, should they be family friendly? To have a, a a scene of intimacy. Yes. Okay. Um, and often, often I don't know if you agree, Stephen. Having read uh, quite a few of them, they're quite quite often glossed over. Okay. It's almost like they're not uh, a major part of the narrative structure. As I say, I've no idea what, idea what the books are about. Is it about some sort of? But not that much lovemaking. I mean, there's always it, a little bit. Is it about some sort of brass band in South Yorkshire? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay, fine. At, at and, the very least. And he's the trombonist. <laughs> it is um, Brastoff 2. Yes. Is the best way yeah, to Jack Reacher, Brastoff. Jack Reacher colon Brastoff.